Hi, this is Jay Todd Anderson, and you are listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. could indicate the approach of the journey from lightness to dark, crossing the border from goodness into evil. Or it could be another edition of Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO. Hi, I'm Nikki Dakota, your host. I am joined in the studio by The Film Guys. It is a great pleasure for me to welcome in today the storyboard artist for the Coen Brothers for every movie since Raised in Arizona and many, many movies that we know, we love. He is a talent. He's our friend. He's film guy J. Todd Anderson. J. Todd... Man, I'm in it for the bongo drums and the dark Mexican silence and, and those evil guys with the black letter jet. That's a plum if I heard of <laughs> Also, on your radio, right, he is the possessor of the largest frame brain on the planet. He is the nitrate film archivist at the Library of Congress. He is our man at the Library of Congress, George Willem and George Welcome. And I would tell you, even in this movie, the only thing I had going for it was the large convertible Chryslers. That I would watch it for that. <laughs> they were everywhere. Amazing. Evidently, that's cars. all they sold in Mexico in 1957. <laughs> Huge DeSoto fire dome. Chrysler <laughs> <We are> <laughs> firepower. Oh. <laughs> we two, come together. Yeah, there's two people that get in the car and don't get attached to them. That's right. Uh, death, deceit, and deception never looked so good as in mm. this movie. And the movie is, George. The movie is Touch of Evil from 1958, directed by the one, the, and the only, only Orson yeah. Welles. Black and white in Our all its glory. Our personal hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's nothing like this movie. It is just a... Oh, and Janet Lee and Charlton Heston. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good movie with a lot of twists, a lot of tangles, a lot of uh, unexpected turns, but uh, it, it is awfully good if from any beginning of you to end. are vaguely aware or familiar with Orson Welles' style, you will appreciate this more, movie more than anybody because mm-hmm. we think this is his best movie. Even Lady from Shanghai was great, and, you know, Citizen Kane is a wonderful right. picture for starters, you know, but this is Orson. Did he have any hand in... There was not, no hand in writing this. He just was starred... No, no, and... he... Um, I believe he did work on the screenplay okay. as well. So, he wrote... wrote... Uh, portions produced. of it produced directed uh, uh, starred yes. so another just his handprints all over it it yep. is perfect and I agree but uh, that's it's not because I agree that it's perfect it's because it passed the film guys strict and stringent rules gentlemen this movie uh, hit these rules hey uh, Touch of Evil you know that movie <laughs> it's a perfect movie because it, it it creates a world that it exists in in and a big way. It wholly sustains that world, and regardless of changes in society, it retains its meaning and entertainment value. And Touch of Evil will never be placed in any preferential or numerical order. It is perfect in its own scale. Uh. I agree, too. It's awfully good. George, there's a lot to this story, but if it's possible, can you make a condensed version of the action in this tale? I will try. Yeah. I, I have tried before to summarize this film shortly. And hopefully and when it's... you hear this, you will want to go out and buy this movie. Yeah. That's right. Let's just gonna, say... George is going to instruct you on which version to get. Oh. Well, let's yeah. just say that this film, I mean, it's a 
B movie all the way. It has B movie written all over it. You know, it's it's trashy. Oh, the characters gosh, yeah. are dark. There's drugs. Sinister. There's drugs. There's sexual malaise. Mm-hmm. There's peeping toms. There's acid throne. Yeah. There's uh, Orson Welles. There's candy bars. <laughs> there's prostitutes. Mm-hmm. And it's all wrapped in this beautiful black and white uh, you coating. Know, it's almost like when you see a person every day that's this, this disheveled, you know who he is, you know, or who that person is. And you see that urine stain on his pants. <laughs> you can see you've been urine stain on this movie. You've been but... watching C-SPAN again, haven't you? Watch <laughs> um, <laughs> Fox Network. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie has a, a urine stain. Is that what we're saying? I'm here? just saying, you know, when you it's see, like a celluloid urine stain. It, it, that's that's the <laughs> signal you get when you see that somebody like that. But when you see Orson Welles. <laughs> Now you will probably, every time you look at Orson, you'll think, he's got a urine stain on his pants. You'll always check. So you can't look away, it. though. You just can't look away. <laughs> but, to, I mean, to put, it, to put it in a little bitty nutshell, it's basically the story of a, you know, a super cop, a mm-hmm. uh, Mexican uh, official played by Charlton Heston, of course, who's, you know, when you think of Mexican officials, you Charles always think of Charlton Heston. Heston huh? And, uh, and his new wife, played by the ever-lovely Janet Lee. Uh, you know, just a couple of years before she took that shower there at uh, Bates's place, and then um, she was very refined. That's right. And then, of course, Orson Welles and some of his usual posse: uh, Joseph Kalia and uh, William Allen and some others. These guys are all Mercury players. They're, they all—I mean—they've been following him around since the early days. And and it's it's basically the character Vargas played by Heston up against the character Hank Quinlan played by Orson Welles, bigger than life. And, you know, did Literally. did Wells' character um, put some evidence in place, some false evidence to incriminate this young Mexican for blowing up the person? doing it for years? And has he been doing this for years or what? And, of course, Quinlan knows that Vargas is after him, so he's setting people after him along with this crime family to blackmail Vargas into letting everybody go. And that involves his wife and a murdered gangster and blah and blah and blah. And it's just... It's great. And I don't want to say it. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. You got you got to see this movie if you haven't seen it. We won't spoil it, but we will say that every last one of these people sweat a lot. That's there right. There is some sweating. That's right. Yeah. Your TV table will be moist when you are done watching this. You'd swear once you cross think... that border, man, you're going to start sweating over there. <laughs> So it's on the line in so many ways. It's on the border between the United States and Mexico. It's on the border between lightness and dark. It's on the border between... It's the border between taste and lack of taste. <laughs> I have no way of, of proving this, but I've heard over the years of when I was in Los Angeles quite a bit that over there at Venice, you can still see that. And I've spotted it a couple of times. I've lined it up and figured out where that shot was. Those facades are the front of buildings that still exist. It's kind of hard to see them because they have so much different things on them. But that Venice uh, Beach thing is right there in the opening of this where they shoot everything with the cars and the, uh, the boom shot. And it's it's there prominently. So you can go, when you go to Venice, go over there, walk over there and stand right in the middle of the street, you know, and look at it. It looked just like a movie. And I think after you, you mentioned the boom shot, that's one of the things we can start out talking about oh. is, is, you know, Wells has always been such a trickster and such a, a circus character and a magician. And he likes – he loved to rub that in too. Yeah. And so – and, you know, I mean Citizen Kane starts with a real flash, you know, with the, the castle and the rosebud and everything like that. And, and all of his films start in these really fascinating ways. And in this one, he kind of outdid himself with this incredible crane shot – that goes on for 
couple minutes at, at least. least a thousand foot load yeah man, and least. and it starts that's a, out that's the amount of film that it yeah. took, right. took to shoot that i mean it that's starts the out the biggest magazine that they have yeah. right it starts out with a close-up of, of hands holding a time bomb with a little lux kitchen timer on it. he sets the timer and then it follows him over he puts it in the trunk of a car and then it pulls back as you see the couple come out and get in the car and then as the, it continues to pull back and up and away and over to the street and it follows the car as it comes in and then and then other characters begin entering the story and you go away from the car and here comes Charlton Heston gently and they're going to the border and, and the car comes back in and it's just the most beautifully choreographed thing you've ever seen. You know what's so funny is that I uh, was not aware of this thing. I've heard that called a one shot. You guys have called it a crane shot, a boom shot. Yeah, I've I mean, heard it called a one shot, that you do all this action. I wasn't aware of it until um, there was a collection of the most awesome videos, music videos shot as one shots, and mm-hmm. I had seen those and didn't even well, rope, recognize. Rope, the movie Rope is a one shot. Yeah. And then uh, Children it's of so Men, uh, the cinematographer on that did a beautiful one shot. It's easier to do now, but back then you were physically tied down to right. a crane. And, a and the opening of uh, all Robert Altman's The Player has an amazing continuous uh, one shot in it. In fact, they even they even stop on two characters who are talking about the crane shot from the beginning of Touch of Evil. Oh, you know, during neat. that shot, so you know, references back. Well, this now, had been look, going on before, before I recognized what it was, and I was just I blown to, away. I hate to ask you to look this deeply into this technically, but if you'll <laughs> notice, that crane shot doesn't move around too much. It just goes back and forth. Yeah. It's up and down a lot, but. It, what you're watching is the car. And and here's one of the reasons they shoot at night in movies is so your focus will go exactly where they want you to go. And you'll no, notice in this movie that's one of the big things that Ors- Orson Welles is controlling exactly where your eyeballs are going to go. Mm-hmm. Because he shoots completely at night and he's always moving wherever he wants your eyes to be with a car, with a light. And in the meantime, this crane is not really moving around a whole bunch. It's just, it's implied. Uh, Your persistence of vision is what Orson kind of, like George said, he was a magician. He knew about that. He knew how to trick your eye into being. He knows how to fake you out too. Yeah, and he does that visually, just like somebody sticking their uh, hand in a hat. That's Orson Welles in this nighttime photography. It's good looking, and I and that 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 particular. I didn't realize it's mostly. Is there any daytime shot in this movie? Yes, yes there is. There okay, and then they cut to this banal arrangement where it's just a, a terrible, terrible looking place the, in the desert. The motel. Yeah. The Mirador. Oh motel. my gosh, it's just so creepy. It's so desolate, and uh, uh, unfortunately, I have a reaction to motels because that's what I've drawn most in my career. <laughs> that that's movie what, has that's where you stayed most in your career. Or well, I can tell you that I've drawn more motel rooms than anything I've ever drawn. Is always Ooh. a motel room, and boy, in this one, it has one of our favorite actors. Uh, that we liked in Duel and uh, he plays oh the Dennis Weaver, and, uh, and yes. From what I've what I've read, um, Orson Welles really liked Dennis Weaver's characterization of Chester on the television version of Gunsmoke, and wrote him a part in uh, A Touch of Evil as this really creepy little uh, hotel manager who kind of is totally ineffectual and just kind of he's been out in the, he's been out and alone way too yeah, long. Yeah, and you think that he, you know he's gonna protect her a little bit <laughs> no he's, he's just incredibly he he's, he's afraid of his own shadow <laughs> and in the meantime it's just like uh, wolves are just kind of closing, closing in, in on, on janet him. lee who doesn't really sweat a whole lot but she does sweat in this next couple of scenes <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but speaking of people, anyway you see the kind of guys that are trying to come around that one woman 
Yeah, Mercedes McCambridge does a little guest appearance as this the creepiest this woman really in the creepy, 1950s, dressed in black, uh, drug-addled, possibly sexually ambivalent woman yeah. who kind of takes part in the the sort of detestable. We'll say that she has deflowering. She yeah. has posture that no other woman has in many, many, many movies. Her posture is but again, really quite. She was one of those. She's one of that I heard that Wells, you know, she she was visiting or Wells met her somewhere and talked her into doing this part in the movie. So We're talking about the 1958 black and white classic film, A Touch of Evil, partially written, starred, and then directed by the great Orson Welles. Also, uh, Charlton Heston, who nearly ruined this movie for me. I, don't, I do not care for his acting in this. I find it to be uh, cliched and, and, and it, like a rhythm. He's like following some formula, but still... Even though I, I was aware of him sometimes too much while watching it, didn't spoil right. it. It was absolutely well, a great ride. I mean, ride. Heston is the reason this movie got made. He is the star of this movie. He and Janet Leigh huh. are the stars of this movie. And they, I mean, that's what they were from the beginning. But in hindsight. But in hindsight, you know, I mean, the thing that's so funny is, you know, Heston and, and Janet Leigh have like dropped in from, you know, planet white guy and are just there. Everyone else is is a freak in this movie. They've got some odd little habit. They're they're just slovenly, or they're nuts, or they're and, you know, and he's depicting a, an outrageous, out, way out west Mexico that everybody's scared of. Which you know, uh. not too tar- far from the beaten path in some of the places there are in Mexico today. But he really builds it as the scariest. Well, place yeah, and it's also planet. like the sort of the the, the idea we, that a lot of people get about crazy border towns. You know, I mean. This could have been, you no know, law. this could have been on the border mm-hmm. of Ohio and right. Kentucky. It would have been exactly <laughs> the same thing. Um, but to give an example, uh, we're talking about I've some been of the, there. yeah, some of the some of the great people that he has that, who just show up in this movie. Jaja uh, Gabor yeah, does a little tiny part in it. But one of our favorites, and we have a little soundbite here, is the glorious and she's still a wonderful uh, Marlena Dietrich playing Tanya, who obviously is like a madam or former madam. Uh, in the border town that uh, Hank Quinlan used to spend some of his quality time with back in the old days. And he comes up and he comes wandering in her house and, and he's so aged and gone to pot that she doesn't even recognize him. So here's a little exchange between Quinlan and Tanya. You've been cooking at this hour? Just cleaning up. Oh. Have you forgotten your old friend? I told you we were closed. I'm Hank Quinlan. I didn't recognize you. You should lay out those candy bars. Uh, it's either the candy or the hooch. I must say, I wish it was your chili I was getting fat on. Anyway, you're sure looking good. You a mess, honey. Yeah. Uh, being old it sure brings back memories. The customers go for it. It's old, it's new. We got the television, too. George and I went to make an extra scene from this movie where they're all in shadow and Orson Welles is eating chili and he's going... (laughs) (laughs) I sort of like that chili, Marlena. Uh, Marlena's all of 57 to 58 years old in this picture, and she looks Still got those wonderful she high looks cheekbones. Great. This is before the plastic surgery industry overwhelmed Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> she looks fabulous. 
It's a touch of evil on Filmically Perfect on 91.3 WYSO, 1958 black and white uh, film that has been, for both of the film guys, J. Todd, George, you guys have loved we this love film. This, this has gone back 20, more than 20 uh, years since the first time movie. we saw it. And what's really interesting is that the version that you see now that is available um, is is radically different from what it was when it came out in the theater. As with most of Orson Welles' films, it was changed before it was released. Um, Wells for and most Poor likely guy. it's most likely you don't can't feel too sorry yeah, for him because I kind of get the him. idea okay. he had so many things going on all the time well, and his I, mind is constantly going constantly I can going. attest to that because when I met Robert Wise he told me that was the biggest problem with Orson Welles is that he had too many projects going on and as I've said before when we've talked about Orson Welles' movies you you have to like understand that they're trying to make money on these pictures and they can't being at Held hostage by Orson Welles is is probably enough to alter people's lives, <laughs> as, as what I understand. And he's one of the very few people. When I go back to Los Angeles, some people still hate him. Uh, they still hate him. <laughs> they had to be very to young day. because they've wow. had to deal with him. Because you can you can go online and watch him doing those commercials, which we love. Uh, no wine before it's time. And, and there's the outtakes. Oh, and that's the way Orson really looked as he is trying to depict himself in this movie. At middle, he's like early forties, and he's trying to. He's put a fat suit on himself, and he always from a low angle in this picture. He looks so greasy and so terrifying from this low angle, and I think that he did that on purpose. Oh, I'm sure he uh, did all the time because he knew that was a very, very scary look on him. Right. I mean, the character. I understand the character of Quinlan is supposed to be almost seventy in this, and so he's added thirty years to himself. You know, and he's always got this big. Big uh, a candy bar in his grubby paw, and he's noshing <laughs> on it. And um, oh yeah. yeah, and he can barely walk. He's got to have a cane in the movie, which is, becomes a you know a, a clue later on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, I, I, what was I saying? Um, oh, the version we were talking about the version of, of Touch of Evil that is now out. What happened? As with almost every film that he put out, it got sort of taken away from him and cut. I mean, Citizen Kane was probably one of the least changed of his films. But, of course, Magnificent Ambersons, they took 45 minutes out of. He never finished It's All True. Uh, Mr. Arkadin was was drastically cut. All of his films have been cut and dismantled. And when this one got cut, oh, he was just you know, he was just distraught. And he wrote this 60-page memo to Universal Pictures saying, That's not please, a memo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Please don't do this. This is the way it should be. This is the way I intended it. And, of course, they kind of filed it. And forgot about it and put it out the way they wanted. And it didn't do very well. I mean, it took a little while for it to start building. It was very well received at, like, the film festivals and stuff like that. Um, and it's had a cult following ever since. But it wasn't, you know, and we loved it the first time we saw it in the early version. But you just knew that there were things that just weren't there. So in this modern era of ours, and I think the ability of going back and revisiting these things, uh, some people got together. I think Rick Schmidlin, who had worked on... Um, He's worked on several other film projects of this kind. Actually, they got Wells's note, the 60-page note out, and they went back. Oh, they found neat. the the footage. I mean, Universal still had the outtakes and, and roles still in their vaults, and they got to work, and they have now put the film back together as close to the way he intended it to be originally. Um, and one of the biggest changes right off the bat was in the original release, that beautiful opening shot – is sort of destroyed by Universal putting the opening credits over that entire thing. So you can't really see the beautiful opening shot. So now when you see it, the the, the restored version, 
there is no it has no titles at the beginning. Again, think about what I said, where your eye is tracking with when you throw some credits in there, it's it's completely contaminated because you're reading reading the credits. Yeah, the whole effect that he's trying to to do, you know, which he does masterfully because he's not a beginner. They go in there and throw words over it, which immediately draws all your attention to that and not where he wants your attention. Right. And as, as several times we have spoken on the show about people changing their films, um, like Barry Levinson changing The Natural and and then uh, changing uh, Elvis, That's the Way It Is, and taking out the documentary yeah. footage. Um, in this case, I think we can kind of agree that what they did was actually the right thing. To try and put this back the way Wells actually intended it from the beginning, um, because Have you, you've seen both, obviously, we've seen yes. all versions. Yeah, <laughs> Every there, version. there are actually there are three versions. There are three versions we've of Touch of Evil. Yeah. There's the original release version. There's one called the preview version that was found in the mid '70s at Universal, and it is it is very it's got a little extra stuff in it, but it's still not what Wells intended. And then now there is the new restoration that was done some years ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, that that puts it back as close as they possibly can to Wells's. And f- forgive my ignorance. Wells uh, died in what year? Mm, in the eighties. In think. the eighties. So he didn't live to see a lot of this no. stuff get all. As a matter of set fact, right. Uh, to this day, there is a film called. He died in nineteen eighty-five. Uh, oh. His last film, which is called uh, I think it's called The Other Side of the Wind. Um, it remains unfinished to this day. Ooh, isn't and there some young film student dying to help that? There come are. To oh, they've tried several years. Uh, yeah. Every every few years, you hear about someone starting that project up and trying to finish it and trying to finish it and trying to finish it. Whether it ever gets done or not, I don't know. Yeah. Now, keep when you're uh, watching this movie, of course, uh, and there's a point where you're going to say, "Oh my gosh!" And then it gets better, of course. You're, one of the things is driving that is music by Henry Mancini. Yeah, who actually did not get credit originally. Yeah, and the, and although not two people know about him, Russell Matty probably is better known because he put up with Orson Welles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he did great work. That's now, right. why I say that, because Orson Welles was... Now, you think about Letty from Shanghai. They did the mirror sequence. Uh, and or, and uh, Citizen Kane, very low uh, angles where they have deep focus. You know, it looks simple, but it's not... And in this movie, he does what you class of what we call a cookie, and you blast light through it, and you get textures. You know that's the principle. Oh. Now, yeah, to kind of real quickly for those of you who don't know what a cookie is, it's not the little thing you put on your plate with milk. Yeah. In this case, it's a large piece of black card stock, um, different sizes, different shapes, and it's got holes cut in it, and they're all different, different shapes. Pattern. Some are kidney shaped, some are round, some are little squiggles. And basically, what it does, it gives you an, in, an indeterminate pattern of shadows that you put in front of a light. Oh, in front of a light, not the camera. Okay, it'll okay. drop. It'll drop shadows on your scene. Yeah. Now, what Orson Welles did is he found huge cookies, like at the end here, they got oil derricks with these great, beautiful. You know, forced patterns. It just doesn't go straight up. It forces up. An oil derrick is always going to a point. And he waited till the darkest, you know, that he could. And he blasted these huge arc lights behind them to get these crazy, crazy patterns in the end sequences in this movie when they're shooting. Simple concept. But look what he does. His cookie, as we explained what it is, are these oil derricks. And then... What he does after that, he throws smoke behind him, and all of a sudden you've got – he can put the camera on the ground and cut high, cut low, and it's absolutely mesmerizing. He's got Lady from Shanghai, only it's with a cookie. 
um, when you say George. Yeah, and it's, it's really interesting. If you look up Russell Meddy's credits, the cinematographer, very, very active cinematographer. But Touch of Evil kind of stands out in his work. Uh, everything else is really kind of basic. There's nothing quite as exotic looking. So I think he and, and Wells, Wells was probably, Wells probably kept him on the run on this film. We don't know too much about the uh, the production designers, uh, Robert uh, Clatworthy and and, uh, and Alexander Goldson, but we can only imagine, I can because I've been around enough, what in the heck was going on there because yeah. they really came up with this incredible look that's going to sustain time. Oh, there's right. no rules. Yeah. Um, but that's it's all yeah. from this incredible magician that that moved the pea around in a shell called Orson Welles. Right? Yeah. And a lot of, and I, and he did this on a small budget because, you know, Universal had the same feeling about Orson Welles, I'm sure that every other studio did. They didn't trust they him. They thought they could throw him. <laughs> so I have a feeling he, you know, most of the budget on this film went to getting Heston and Janet Lee. Mm, and so, who who delivered uh, through all? You these mean years. you're bringing him? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, okay. all of this, it's because it's black and white. Think about it. The, this this cookie cookie making right. that you described wouldn't have had the same effect within a color film. Well, it just may like, have, well, but um, it's... For some reason... You know, he just didn't have the budget for color. They wouldn't let him Is that what it. that's that about? That could be part of it. Black and white, in 58, black and white, still, I think you find more films being made black and white than color because there wasn't color television predominantly yet. Yeah. They're kind of um, they're like anybody else. Well, we got these big stars and we have this project. Why should we waste the color film on this... This old Orson Welles who's done nothing but tor- terrorize us through the years. Yeah. And, well, it's got Charlton Heston and, and and Janet Lee. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> I can only imagine. I, I that's why I think it was shot in black and white. It's probably lack of budget. It's uh, Touch of Evil on Filmically Perfect, 1958's perfect film. And speaking of the rules, you just reinforce rule number three. There's no doubt it creates it. I felt like I was there, except for. Charlton Heston. I think you can get past that. Yes, I can. You work on Absolutely. it. All you have to do is think about this. Get your hands off me, you dirty damn ape. That's all you have to think about. And he will rise the occasion in your eyes. You have been watching C-SPAN, haven't you? You mean, you mean C-SPAN stole that from Planner? No, it's good. It's a great look. That would be from pretty funny on, on C-SPAN, wouldn't it? And they cut to somebody from some foreign country. Get your hands off me, you dirty, dirty damn, ape. you dirty damn Spanish guy. Or... <laughs> Charlton Heston does not in any way diminish uh, my enjoyment of this movie. It is perfect. I agree. And, and I think people will be watching it, not just for the crazy plot and the great... Um, well, my, I was a little kid. Characters. My mom would let me watch this movie because she really? thought that Orson Welles was too scary, and he represented everything that we were supposed to be running away from. Which, of course, made me want to watch it even Just a little more. bit more. You know, because I watched for it after that for years. A movie can hurt mothers. There's that don't Mustang. Like it. There's that movie that uh, my mom didn't want me yeah. to watch. I think it's lovely, and uh, I enjoyed it. I particularly enjoyed the visuals, and uh, I'm so grateful for the film guys helping me see the uh, the beauty of the actual technique of what was done there uh, it's a perfect movie we all agree and uh, gentlemen we're almost out of time any last shots you can say I will about- say one thing is really nice and I, I may have to get this myself uh, Universal has put out a version of Touch of Evil that contains all three versions oh it has the Virginia new- flecting to all that's of right us the, it has the, the newest restoration the, the Orson Welles recreation I guess they're calling it the original release version and the preview version that was found in the 70s so you can actually for yourself see how this film changed over the years and make up your own mind as to which version you like best and I'm pretty sure I can guarantee you will like one of them 
how could you not like this movie? Well, I guess you could. We don't. We don't want to hang out with you. That's right. If you don't like this movie, movie. Yeah. we won't. We this won't. Is... We won't eat with you if you don't like <laughs> a touch right. of. You won't evil. get to sit at the cool table. <laughs> That's right. We'll shun you at parties. <laughs> I think people will find that they like it. So uh, watch it. Enjoy it. We'd always love to hear. If you have opinions and thoughts and uh, feedback for the film, guys, please write filmguys at perfectmovie.net. That's filmguys at perfectmovie.net. You can find archived editions there at perfectmovie.net. You can find us online at iTunes at npr.org. You can, uh, of course, come to wyso.org. We hope that you make that connection. And um, there's a lot out there for your eyes. And keep your ears right here with us, gentlemen. Any tastes of things to come? Are we going to give any tip of the hat? Well, we'll have a promo of... coming up here All right, soon. Very That's right. Good. Listen for our little promos. We'll show up in the week. We have new promos now. <laughs> That's right. Thank you for listening to an archival episode of Filmically Perfect. Please keep an ear out for new episodes of Filmically Perfect, coming very soon to iTunes and hosted on our website, www.perfectmovie.net. See you, please.